Steve. Hey, Steve. How you doing? A little sweaty, a little hot. Yeah, what's the, what's the temperature like over there? That's why I was wondering. Oh, I don't even know. It's not as bad as it was the last uh, week here in Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, for context, I was just mowing the front lawn and actually the back lawn as well because... Uh, let's Steve. Let's get right into garden updates. So Ooh, I, yes. I have now taken down the screen tent that was over my tomatoes, my coffee, and my avocados and my peppers, because I think it was working a little too well as far as providing shade. Discovered some tomatoes require direct sunlight to ripen the fruit. So I uh, took that down, and what I hadn't realized was that all around this is a big tent. It's probably what, eight by eight. A grass jungle in there, so <laughs> had to had to mow the lawn, had to mow the back backyard today. Nice. Uh, uh, the grass inside the screen tent was yeah. super yeah. long. <laughs> so we took that down. Although I was able to harvest one German Johnson tomato, which, ladies and gentlemen, if you go to my Instagram, which is Chef Ben Randall, you can see that beast. It is so large that if you were to do a slice, it would be too big to put on a burger. The thing is easy five to six inches across. It is gigantic. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent, and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this, and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Did you do anything to encourage that, or this just happened on its own? I did, at one point, fertilize every one of those tomatoes with a specifically designed for tomatoes fertilizer thing. I forget which it is. It's something we had in the garage, because we have a whole bunch of different things in the garage for gardening, right? And so I found okay. this one that was like tomato pepper fertilizer, and I thought, okay... But besides that, no, I don't think I did anything out of the ordinary for that one. Okay, cool. That's good to know. We have some tomatoes that are getting close. Our, uh, we have some, I think they're just black cherry tomatoes. They're not midnight snack. Ah. They're just uh, black cherry tomatoes. So I think we have um, the first, um, would you just call it a vine? <laughs> the first little chunk. Yeah of those uh, is are getting close to being ripe. And then the Roma tomatoes are starting to ripen, but it's weird because some of the smaller ones are starting to ripen and the, some of the bigger ones haven't yet. Hmm. So we're going to have some teeny Romas. <laughs> teeny, teeny Roma. And uh, yeah, that's where we're at. And we have w the one zucchini, since we got it from the seed library, um, they request that you, if you are able, that you bring some seeds back. Right. So the second zucchini that we actually got um, growing that was fertilized we're uh we're letting go to seed mm. and it looks like right now i think i could club someone and kill them <laughs> with it um and it has yet it's getting starting to get the stripes which i believe is the indication that it's done doing its thing so it's really close for us to be able to cut it open and just scoop the seeds out to give back to the library ladies and gentlemen welcome back to in the weeds with ben randall i'm ben randall and i'm Stephen Cadwell. And I'm with you on that whole seed thing, Steve, because I have now I, I, I'm I'm inundated with cucumbers. I have far too many cucumbers uh, for any <laughs> 10 people. Right. So I put up 20 jars of pickles a week ago and I have enough cucumbers now that I took off of the plants. 
yesterday that I can do mm, two thirds that much, right? Like it's gonna be a lot. <laughs> the second batch, because the first batch is just a straight dill. I use some uh, apple cider vinegar in addition to regular white vinegar, just because I like it. But it's just a straight, like a, a sweet dill, turmeric, the whole deal. These ones, because now like that's just too much of that same thing. So I went to the grocery store today and I bought ginger. So I'm doing a ginger, rice wine vinegar, uh, garlic pickle on this next round. But I have one that I didn't notice, one cucumber that I didn't notice. And all of those are probably three inches long, three to four. There's one out there that's a good six, right? It's a big <laughs> dog. And so I'm going to let that one fully ripen, go to seed, and then I'm going to dry those seeds out and save that for my garden next year. And so I, at this stage, will never have to buy cucumber seeds again. Yeah. <laughs> or pickles. Or pickles. Yeah, you, I know you don't want any pickles, but man, ladies and gentlemen, if anybody out there wants some pickles, man, did I make a lot of them. I was unprepared how you... for how many it was going to get. <laughs> how are you on your jar supply? Had to buy more. There's yeah. a there's a uh, hardware store not too far from my new house, which is great. Uh, and they know what they're doing in the neighborhood that they're doing it because they have like five different sizes of mason jar there, including some of those flip top ones that just sort of snap down, which you don't use for pickling. But, you know, it's yeah. nice to have those around, too. Nice. Yeah, we're um, we, we so we have some tomatillos that have formed their little tomatillo tents. Okay. Or the you know, but the I don't papers, know if yeah. any, yeah, I don't know if anything's growing inside them or not because we only had one uh, tomatillo plant. I think there might be a tiny one next to it, but I don't know if the flowers will will uh, develop in time to actually do anything with the giant one next to it. Mm. And Kayla ended up on, I guess there's a tomatillo uh, uh, bulletin board somewhere, um, uh, and and she was there anyway, and. Um, uh, a lot of people were talking about, no one told me I needed two tomatillo plants, <laughs> um, and that kind of thing. So it's, I guess, a common thing. So, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, next year, if you're planning on planting a tomatillo plant, don't plant two or don't plant any, and be prepared for buckets of tomatillos. So I am not only inundated with cucumbers right now, but I am about to be completely inundated with tomatoes as well, because my midnight snacks, which are a, a, a black or a purple cherry tomato, both so i have three of those plants because one of them the one that i grew from seed is doing okay right but then it wasn't i, I got nervous about it and i happened to be at a garden store kind of thing and they had that exact same variety so i bought two more and now all of a sudden it's that feast or famine thing right now i've got way too many which is fine <laughs> but they haven't ripened up yet i have two individual tomatoes on one of those vines that is they're almost ready to go so i have this feeling that i'm gonna go outside one night and I'm going to be putting everything away and whatever and then I'm going to wake up the next morning and every single tomato on every plant is going to be ripe because I've got <laughs> German Johnsons, I've got Hillbillies, I've got San Marzano's, I've got the Midnight Snacks, I have Tigerella and I have one more that this is the last one, I always forget what it is. It is the Black Trafel. That's the last one I have. Because the Japanese, the uh, Indigo Rose, that's the one that... Uh, didn't work out and all of them have a lot right, of fruit right. on them and all of them are ready to go like they're all ready to ripen up they're all like healthy and dark green and yeah they're all going to turn at the same time <laughs> so i get the feeling i'm also going to have to make a lot of tomato sauce make a lot of pizza sauce make a lot of salsa right like i'm going to have jars for days 
Yeah. Well, so here's a question then. Uh, sh- can you, and if you can, should you make anything with cherry tomatoes? I don't know the answer to that. So, like, I've I, in my head, a jar with cherry tomatoes that are hot packed either in oil, which I hear is a bad idea, or in, like, a... <sighs> A slightly acidulated water? Tomatoes are fairly acidic anyway. With, like, garlic and herbs in there would be great. But I don't know. I don't know if that's a real thing or not. So I need to just Google preserving cherry tomatoes. Yeah. And see, the other thing I can do, I have a dehydrator. So I can cut all these cherry tomatoes in half and dehydrate them and have, like, little tomato raisins. Which would be cool. (laughs) And then there's a chance I could pack those in oil. Do, like, sun-dried tomatoes, essentially, except not sun-dried. Yeah. If you, if you, uh, I guess they are pretty large, so that you'd want to cut them in half just for size. So yeah. If you didn't cut them in half, we have to get some of those teeny tiny ones from the crazy Australian <laughs> uh, botanist guy and, uh, and, and then dehydrate those because those would be good in some bagels instead of raisins. If I you did, uh, did buy you know, the dick peppers. Oh, did you yep, really? Those seeds are on and the way here. And it's fine to get them sent over here and all that jazz. As far as I know, they, they didn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Right? I can't wait. So I'm It'll... doing this now where I'm planning ahead, which is a new thing in my life. But I am – so I have the uh, cucumber that I'm going to let it go to seed, and I'm going to um, save that for next year. I bought that gem corn, the multicolored corn. I'm saving that for next year. I bought a um, – I'm going to forget the name of it again. It's just a flower that is native to here that is great because it draws pollinators and i'm going to plant that next year but i have the seeds already nope i'm gonna forget what it's called it's got a purple flower on it it's pretty enough i suppose you know put it out in the front yard whatever so that's gonna be great uh planning ahead you know again those dick peppers that's gonna be for next year as well right so it's gonna be a totally different garden next year are those just gonna be for garnish or are uh are you going to use them? Oh, man. Canning those and having just those things floating in a jar. I don't know about that, man. <laughs> uh, it looked so in, in the when I was looking at them, they indicated that it's a fairly spicy pepper and that people dry them out and grind them up for chili powder. So I might do that. Yeah. And oh. I mean, once once you slice it and stuff, it's not going to I mean, it'll be, it's not going to look weird in yeah. a chili. If you put the whole thing in there, then maybe. Speaking of that, we've talked in the past about how Sriracha, Huey Fong brand Sriracha is just gone, right? Because of their uh, business issues with the one farm they were using, and then they switched to Mexico, and then Mexico had a drought, and so it was one of those where, like, you're waiting in line at the grocery store, and the line next to you looks like it's faster, so you move, and then that one closes, right? Like, it's that sort of a thing. I found a recipe for sriracha online, and so I was at the grocery store today buying ginger for these pickles that I'm making and I had totally forgotten because I just could not find red jalapenos anywhere and they just had a shitload of red jalapenos there so I was like oh wait a minute that's right I wanted to learn how to make my own sriracha so I'll be doing that next week as well now are red jalapenos a specific thing or are they just jalapenos that they like get more ripe I don't know the answer to that (laughs) I know that they were a different price than the regular jalapenos because they were more expensive (laughs) <laughs> well, if they used more water and more time in the field, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things I've learned because we do have a couple varieties of peppers out there. And the other day I said, hey, Kayla, look up uh, when we know when to harvest the ha- the poblano. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the one I think is a Hungarian wax pepper that I mentioned last week. And then we have some jalapenos out there for sure. 
and evidently all of those will turn red eventually. Oh, okay. And you can wait until that happens to harvest them, but but they also get hotter, you know, the riper they get. So ah. everything is pretty much a bell pepper in that regard. You either take it when it's green or you wait for it to change into a different color. Oh, okay. The I bought this, uh, and this is what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when you get seed packets, and I'm not, with things like this, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I bought a seed packet that said rainbow mix of peppers. Supposed to be white, purple, green, red, yellow, and orange, right? And you don't know what you're going to get, so you plant all of them. So I have two plants out there. They are growing like poblanos, essentially. They're these super long, I don't know if they're spicy, I don't know if they're not. I was looking for bell peppers. I didn't get what I ordered, but again, this is the internet, so who knows? So what I'm going to do now, <laughs> duh, is I we have red peppers in the fridge right now. So I'm going to save some of those seeds, dry them out, put them in a little bag, label them, red peppers, and I'll just grow red peppers next year out of that. Yeah. Because that's a product, it's tricky. It's not that I have kids who don't like vegetables, it's just that growing stuff that I know they're going to like because, you know, kids are capricious. They change their minds, right? My kids will eat red peppers any day of the week. So if I was growing those, that saves me three shopping trips a month <laughs> to the grocery store. <laughs> and they're not expensive, but it would be cool to just be like, oh, you want a red pepper? Click, right, and just grab it off the vine, and there you go, or plant, whatever. Yeah. Unfortunately, we, that only... I mean, uh, what's the yield on a red pepper plant and how are you able to preserve those at all or do they just like the fresh ones they will only eat the fresh ones but if it comes down to it i could slice them and freeze them use them for like stir fry vegetables later on that sort of thing yeah i guess i could also i mean i could roast them and then jar those with garlic and stuff like that maybe your cherry tomatoes would go in that there you go yeah yeah, yeah. but uh I'm going to get, like, a really cheap dollar store vibrating toothbrush thing, and I, I mean, I'll get a bajillion peppers out of that thing. It'll be great. Yeah. I think, you know, when after I saw that, I did use it out there in some tomato plants, and I believe it worked because huh. we did do have a lot more uh, tiny, tiny tomatoes than we do ones that are about ready to, gotcha. to ripen. So, okay. it, yeah. We'll be, we'll be in, the, uh, in, the, in the sauce sure. soon. In, in, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a gardener. I don't know the terms. Right. I think that's all my garden updates. I do have two other tomato plants that I bought because I did pull out that black zucchini because, again, it wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. That's my fault. I learned a lesson. I'm not going to try to grow that particular thing again. And so I had this space open in one of my raised beds, and so I bought pineapple tomato, which is an heirloom variety, and some other thing that I forget what it's called, and I put those back into that one. But, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if we have enough time to get tomatoes off yeah. of them because they're pretty small plants right now one of them has two flowers it's pretty cocky like this thing thinks that it would be able <laughs> it would be like charlie brown's christmas tree right if there was a tomato on that this thing would bow all the way down to the ground because they're not they're like eight inches tall <laughs> these are not tall plants yeah we uh it was maybe th maybe three weeks ago so a little while ago but not like early in the season someone had set out on their front lawn like it's still in the the square planter things like the but the big ones not the little ones yeah. but the you know the bigger uh fudge sickle looking <laughs> yeah uh things um it was like three tomato plants and it was like free and they were there looking all emaciated and sad but they still all had flowers yeah <laughs> so they were yeah. they were trying they were trying hard <laughs> they were all charlie brown christmas trees though so yeah. as soon as they grew one they were gonna oh yeah 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 no question uh, I had one more thing to say about gardening, and now I don't remember what it was. 
Well, uh, if if we are in the sauce later, do you think it's going to be legit sauce, <laughs> or is it going to be uh, uh, what is it counterfeit, counterfeit, counterfeit sauce? sauce? So, excellent segue, ladies and gentlemen. This is from Food Safety News. Uh, which is a, a, a an email that I get once a day with horrible, horrible things in it about people getting sick from, like, salmonella and stuff. Although occasionally you get, this isn't a heist, this is a scam, right? Yes. Okay. So, counterfeit sauce suppliers receive community service. So this is in Great Britain, where the cops do not carry guns. So... Two people have been sentenced to community service in England for violations including food hygiene offenses and failure to register a food business. So these brothers uh, were sentenced to 120 hours of unpaid work in the community after pleading guilty to breaching the Trademarks Act of 1994. Basically what these guys did is coming up around Christmas time two years ago, three years ago. Uh, got a hold of some cranberry sauce and threw fake labels on it and then sold it to grocery stores as though they were representatives of the company that they they faked the labels for. Uh, counterfeit Abel and Cole cranberry sauce, right? Now, the only real crime here is that, I mean, aside from the fact that they were impersonating an existing brand, is that there's no guarantee that the product itself was ever inspected for health and safety kind of stuff right yeah it doesn't i do like say that they made up they... a company called stock up direct <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't say where they got it does it right i wonder if it was squirrel <laughs> <laughs> so this this article says stock up direct supplied more than a thousand jars to a wholesaler who distributed them to various food companies around the country Neither man had registered the business with the council, so it had never been inspected to ensure it met the required food hygiene standards. Okay, so two questions for you. Yes. If you found out that one of your broadliners had purchased a bunch of counterfeit sauce from ostensibly two guys in the back of their pickup at Best Buy, (laughs) would you want to know? And if you knew, would you keep doing business with them? So, they would have to tell us, because there's, at least in this country, there's a whole procedure for recalls being announced and uh, uh, serial numbers and all of this kind of stuff, right? And I have been not affected by, but I have gotten a number of recall notifications throughout my career. Most notably in my current job, what I generally get is like my produce guy will send me an email. When I say produce guy, it's like that whole company. But they'll send me an email saying, hey... Romaine from this area of Arizona is currently being recalled because it's giving people E. coli. We have only sourced our romaine from this part of California, so it does not affect us, but be aware you might hear something about it. That's the kind of recall notification I get. So I can't speak too intelligently toward what that would look like in this country, and I also certainly don't know how that works in England. Now, second part of your question, if it's one time and I've been working with a distributor forever and one time they were just like, look, we got a great deal on it. We didn't look too close. Sorry. That's fine. If it happens again, then we're done. Like that's a two strikeout. That's not a three strikeout. <laughs> okay. So because this is, I, guess, I mean, I guess they did create a fake company, right? The fake wholesaler. Yeah. But 
at what point? I mean, are, were these were some of these retailers? Um, or no, they supplied more than one thousand jar, jars to a wholesaler. Yeah. So I guess I guess I'm just wondering when someone could or should have been suspicious because is it was stock up direct doesn't sound like we only do cranberry sauce. Right. That so if you're looking at their website and it's like, oh wow, they only have cranberry sauce, isn't that a red flag? <laughs> right. Shouldn't so, you start to wonder? So this I mean, you're right. This is the equivalent of you and I buy a whole bunch of tomato sauce somewhere we get a great deal on buying tomato sauce we relabel it as being hunts tomato sauce and we sell it to like cisco and then cisco sells it to a bunch of other places in my mind cisco should really be the one that's on the hook for uh, do i want them to be in trouble or not i'm it depends on how fancy our website is that we made up for our made up business because if it looks like we really were able to take them in, then I don't know, man. But really, we are still the criminals. <laughs> yes, yes. But, I mean, I wouldn't trust us. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm not saying they were, they were you know, criminally responsible. But I would, I would wonder a little bit, like, how hard are you looking for these deals? Because... <laughs> yeah. Credibility should, uh, should trump, you know, sa- saving... Uh, I mean... Uh, I don't know what they like. If it, is it is it like pounds per jar, like th- that they were saving like several pounds per jar, um, instead of you know five pounds. These were being sold for two pounds. I I don't know what cranberry sauce goes for, but it sounds like Great Britain is addicted to it. If it's yeah. something that you're gonna counterfeit. So yeah, the reason for having a serial number on there is that when there are recalls and stuff done and batch number and all that, because those include the date and they include some sort of a code that indicates what factory it was. And so all of that stuff is traceable. And that's a big thing for this particular article is that no matter what goes on with this, if anybody gets sick, there's no way for the health department of Great Britain to actually figure out what caused any of it, right? They can't trace it back to the source. Right. I mean, and that's a huge deal just in food safety in general, I would imagine, is that that having that ability uh, really helps to trace something down to prevent other people from getting ill. So, right. um, Yeah. So not not really a heist, just more of a scam. Yeah. And I mean, community service is not a bad, not a bad uh, way to, (laughs) you know. Right. I don't know. I don't know how much they made. If if you divide that per 120 hours, what that meant, their hourly rate actually right. is for working those hours <laughs> all right i did want to talk about one thing real quick because we've brought this up in the past about ups yes ladies and gentlemen i know what you're saying what the hell does ups have to do with this particular show well there's a lot of labor organization going on right now which is all to the good that's the the better <sighs> care we can be taking of all of our wage employees in this country the better the stronger the healthier all that stuff the country's gonna be right there's a finite amount of wealth there's no reason for like six dudes to have all of it when people are not being able to pay their rent and stuff like that especially when rents are going up mainly by those same dudes so for a minute there was a chance that ups was going to go on strike starting tomorrow or maybe the first and uh i had (laughs) 
I don't get a lot of stuff sent to me via UPS for my job. However, any disruption of supply chain, as we learned through COVID, is a bad thing. So, yeah. I have had purveyors, you know, keeping an eye on this for me, even though it doesn't really even matter to them necessarily, but there's so much else that goes into it, which is just like, if pretty much just that any disruption to the supply chain is going to ripple right so i just got an email a couple of days ago from one of my purveyors dear valued customer we hope this letter finds you well i don't find that to be terribly insulting they're sending this out to everybody we're pleased to update you that ups and their u.s-based employees have reached a tentative contract agreement the agreement was announced by multiple news sources as well as the ceo of ups and the teamsters member voting takes place august 3rd through august 22nd while there is risk that it may not be approved, the overall expectation is that this will be a five-year agreement and there will not be a strike. Uh, that's the point, ladies and gentlemen, of a strike. is It's a threat. It's, a, it's, a, it's an action done by the employees specifically to get the CEOs and owners to come back to the negotiating table and give them what they want or something as close to as possible. So it looks like... So UPS, fucking congratulations, and it looks like we won't at least have that particular disruption to the supply chain going into what is the busiest one of the busiest parts of my employment year which is opening school back up steve i go back to work in two weeks a little less yeah. than two weeks crazy and just, if i needed to get some shit by. from ups yeah 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 although to be honest i feel pretty good about where i am i only have a couple of little like housekeeping things left to do and then i bring my staff back and then we are off now you did you got that letter from your purveyor does your purveyor get much from ups that you know of or is it just uh in general supply chain stuff that you know like we mentioned this one in particular i just order safety stuff from them so that's cut gloves in the past that's been okay. masks and knife guards uh like the uh, uh, specific scrubber things that you use on uh rotary slicers things like this they do ship via ups so if there had been a ups strike we would have seen a bigger lag time for buying anything from them because they probably would have said it sent it USPS. So had I needed to buy any of this stuff, but I stocked up at the end of last year because I had a wee little bit of budget money left. A pat on the back for me because I came in under budget. Um, I wasn't going to need that particular purveyor anyway, but like uniforms, uh, there is a certain kind of snack that I get from a company out in New York uh, what else comes to me ups some stuff that i get from amazon some really like particular items that i need to get there are some uh small wares kind of stuff pots and pans and whatnot that come either fedex or ups i think they just go with whichever's giving them the better deal that day so it's nice for this company at least to uh let me know that that's not going to be an issue for me right this second <laughs> for yeah. everybody else too well, and like we were saying, just any disruption in supply chain disrupts the whole supply chain because yeah. it's real easy to think, well, you know, uh, my fruit company that, that I get, um, you know, with strawberries through U.S. Foods or whomever, it's like that shouldn't be an issue because it's yeah. not UPS. But maybe the fruit company gets their boxes shipped to them through UPS. Right. Or or maybe they get the chemicals that they use to um, clean the equipment or maybe that, you know, who knows what they get could be getting through UPS that might disrupt their process to prevent them from getting the strawberries to you, even the strawberry, even though the strawberries themselves aren't coming to you through UPS. Yeah, well, that and you're absolutely right. Like things I wouldn't think about, like warehouse lighting. There are certain things via food code that 
warehouses are part of in they're, they're part of that whole system that gets inspected by the health department and you need to have a certain amount of lighting like you just said cleaning products and things like that whole warehouses could shut down if ups isn't shipping things like quat saturnite saturn the quat sanitizing solution right like that sort of thing yeah things that i never would have had to think about three four years ago now i'm like oh shit ups is gonna strike how could this possibly affect me you know and if my produce (laughs) guy can't get light bulbs and so they can't deliver like that's so far outside of my realm of responsibility but it would also affect me so much that i have to think about that kind of crap now now am i gonna keep ups from going on strike no (laughs) but i'm happy they're not do you uh, currently or are you planning on having a folder uh, in your filing cabinet that is just filled with backup plans? Like it's the plan B folder. I, we're such a small outfit that I don't have the kind of space that my company wants me to have to be able to have. Like if I can't serve this menu this day, have a backup plan. We don't. We don't. I've already talked to my boss about it. He's constantly bugging me to have... Keep one entire lunch in the freezer. I don't have that kind of freezer space. It's just not how we're set up to do it. Right. So one of the things that is, like, produce has been really good throughout the pandemic, given everything that's happened, right? So, like, my produce guy has done a pretty darn good job. Like, a better job than we probably should have ever expected out of people who were dealing with the kind of stuff they were dealing with. I'm diversifying a little bit because there is a company that sort of brokers – local farms and 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 small purveyors and small growers in markets like chicago and so we're gonna sign on with them for the fall where i'll be able to get more stuff that's local and the nice thing about that is that the shorter the distance is that you have to move something physically the less supply chain issues will affect it right so if it's just coming to me from kankakee right it's like an hour 10 away that's way better than if it's coming to me from California, right? Or Uruguay, you yeah. know, like that sort of thing. It's it's less likely that one of those – it's fewer links on the chain that could fall apart. So that's great. Uh, is that a full solution? No, because they're also more expensive. So I have to use them kind of sparingly, <laughs> you know, because there's, there's always another side to that. What? Yeah. I was wondering even uh, even in terms of, well, if I can't get tomatoes, then this is plan B. Um, you might ha- keep all that in your head because you that's like um, more food related. But uh, like uh, the, if if for whatever reason I can't get this, that means that I go to this. Um, and and also is keeping a frozen a meal in the freezer a good idea? Because wouldn't the kids be able to tell? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's freezer burn Wednesday. Yeah, they really would be able to. And that's another reason that I'm not too sad that we can't do it. It's tricky, and I wish I could have an explicitly written down, like, okay, if we can't do chicken shawarma tomorrow, guess what? We're going to be doing uh, burger day. I wish I could just have that kind of pivoting already uh, explicitly written down. I cannot. So... One of the things that I found the most success with, uh, chefs, listen to this one. You're going to be fucking blown away. I involve my staff in it, right? So when the produce order shows up, and my produce guy has gotten a lot better about this, but in the the real meaty thigh of, of COVID, we would never have a heads up about what was not coming in. So we got real good at being like, okay, Monday's delivery is going to have Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on it because 
we can't yeah. not right but if we did like if we were getting something delicate if we were getting herbs if we were getting you know salad greens stuff like that things that we're not going to carry for a long time and they did not show up that day and we needed them i would involve my staff in trying to figure out a workaround because these are the people who have their hands in all of the food so if i'm looking around i can't see everything all the time there's no reason not to use their eyes as well and so if we didn't get the pasta we needed for pasta day, I'm looking at my staff. They're the ones who are going to go, yeah, 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 we normally do rotini. You know we've got 120 pounds of macaroni back there. It's <laughs> not ideal, but it's still fucking pasta. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to think of that. They're the ones who are going to know that kind of stuff because they're the ones tripping over it. They're the ones going, why do we have so much mac back here? <laughs> you know. And so, again, whenever a company says, well, our true, uh, what is it? Our true, our true power is our people, that kind of thing. Nobody believes that shit when they say it like that. <laughs> but it's real. That's, that's the real truth of it. If you look at somebody whose entire job is to run the salad bar and you're like, look, Romaine didn't show up. That's the person who knows how to fix it. That's the person who's going to go, no, 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 I've got, a, I've got a case and a half of spinach. We're fine. That's the kind of thing you get from including your employees. Now, the best way to do that sorry to turn this into an employment section of the of the episode tell them you're going to do that to begin with make sure that that's part of your training we're, we're going to do a full day of training when we all come back to work and that's one of those things i'm going to emphasize which is like i'm not going to expect you people to solve every problem but when a problem happens on your station you're still the expert i'm going to come to you and be like look we're out of cherry tomatoes today what can we put in that spot instead and they are the ones who have those answers have you ever worked in a kitchen that has been run that way where where i mean when you were on the line anywhere was it what were you always being told okay we're not doing this we're doing this or were you ever actually asked hey this can't happen um how do you feel about or what is what's your input no no i was never that's not the traditional way to do it right chefs don't want to give up the kind of authority they have they don't want to give up the power and they don't want to be seen as being weak right and there is a white american guy chef machismo thing that asking for help equals weakness which is not true and it's going to take two more generations before we get people to believe that but like the 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 reason that i've hired somebody to cook for me is not because they're a great cook they're also a great cook. I'm hiring people who are resourceful, who get along with the other people, who are consistent, reliable, all of those kinds of things. And part of what I also need out of them is that reliability and that flexibility at the same time. I want you to do the same job every single day. However, when you can't, I want you to be able to fix it yourself or help me to fix it, right? Uh, generally what'll happen is you run out of something at a restaurant, you get yelled at for running out by the chef. And then the chef tells, tells you, we're just going to do this anyway instead. And then walks away and you're like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. Why we ran out of potatoes <laughs> and you want me to just sub onions all day? Like that makes no sense at all. And so involving the employees in it also not only gives them a little bit of agency and gives them a little bit of, uh, ownership over it, but then the idea is automatically good. They're automatically bought in. They're going to do a better job with that fix because it's partially theirs. Yes. 
Uh, well, I, I was um, one of the reasons I asked is well, we were kind of talking about it anyway. But also, um, I just had a kind of a leadership conversation with someone else recently, and we were just um, group group dynamics and and that sort of thing, and how different. Um, and then Kayla and I were talking about it. We were just talking about how different uh, styles work in different places. And uh, I didn't know how much yeah. buy-in you actually needed um, in a in a kitchen because you do have someone who's kind of in charge. But uh, um, if it's people, especially if it's like a volunteer kind of thing, you really need people to buy in. Otherwise, they're not going to be committed. But also, I mean, what you're speaking to is um, – you you value the input of the people that are there because they have knowledge that you don't necessarily have immediately and so i mean what right. what if you're a good leader that seems like something that you would want is <laughs> like yeah i want all the information <laughs> so that i can make a good decision instead of you know just dictating but it seems like um there are two types of people that would be a- attracted to the sort of dictatorial um sort of uh uh model and uh, those um, are going to be the people that kind of want to have that power and then also the people that just want to be told what to do. So those are two people that I think are going to be yeah. drawn to to that um, that aren't necessarily – I mean, not that, that they're a bad group of people, groups of people, but, uh, you know, um, that don't always necessarily uh, benefit <laughs> the, <laughs> the organization or whatever. I – I had a conversation with my lead cook at one point because we keep production records, right? So every time we do a menu, we write down how much we made and how much was left and all of that so that the next time we can be more precise. And I was doing an order and I asked her, I was, and I'll use shawarma chicken as an example. This is an apocryphal story and I was involved. But I was just like, hey, last time we ran shawarma, how much chicken did we buy? How many pounds of chicken did we bring in? And she looked at me and she goes, you don't remember? And I said, I keep those memories in your head. <laughs> and that's really what it is. Like, why would I hire, unless I'm legitimately bringing in actual robots that are made out of like metal and plastic and shit, why would I hire robots, right? I want to hire people who have particular skills and I want to not only utilize those skills, but I want the people who have those skills to feel like they're theirs, right? Like they have that ownership. My lead cook, one of her skills is she's, organized as fuck why would i not use that yeah <laughs> why would i not keep important things in her head if i'm gonna keep them all in my head that's dumb right i've got other things that i do with the portions of my head so it would seem then that what we're positing is that the best um leader slash manager in a restaurant like in a kitchen is someone who plays kitchen uh kitchen tetris very well sees the shape of the individual and knows where they plug in to make that whole thing work. And also, um, because it's a kitchen and sometimes, you know, the L piece or whatever is missing, the leader slash manager also needs to be able to contort themselves to fit any of those positions to to be able to yeah. fill in if they have to. But really the job is seeing what people can do and putting them in the right place so that they can do that thing well. Yeah. So... In the past, restaurant work has all been treated, and I would say, again, machismo and unfairly, it's been treated like war, right? Like, it does not matter what the name of the individual on your grill is, just so long as you have a person there and you can bark orders at them, and that person knows that they're there until they die, (laughs) right? Preferably at at the station. Exactly, exactly. 
and it's it's not only an unfair comparison you can't compare restaurant work to war but it's really like tremendously stupid <laughs> to make that comparison because that's not what we're doing we're not in combat and that model is in direct opposition to the model that i use which is a lot more like the movie moneyball right where like the the brad pitt character is looking at the stats of these players that he wants to hire and he's like yes this guy is not the greatest fielder of all time and he doesn't have the greatest uh arm or whatever it is but he gets and he like and he gets like five home runs a year whatever something dismal but he's on base constantly so what brad pitt needed was somebody who would just hit the ball this is a dude who just gets on base a lot right and he did what you were just talking about which is what's the qualification that i need here and how do i find the person that has that qualification if like i have i have some staff members that just cannot for the life of them be on time they're not super late all the time it's like five minutes it's like eight minutes my company hates it but you know what while they're there they do such a great job i kind of don't care you know and so it's that money yeah. ball thing where you fit him in where it's like yeah this guy does not he's never going to win a golden glove but he's always on base and so we're going to put that particular qualification into that space and say this is what he does and we're just going to let him do it yeah um i imagine that i mean especially for a place like uh uh, uh, uh operation like yours where people might be reliant on the trains and stuff too that it's also a little more uh, <laughs> forgivable um yeah some of those some of those things but yeah exactly the only the, the big difference i would say between that and uh and or, or running the kitchen money ball is that brad pitt couldn't step in and play the game for anyone that didn't show up <laughs> whereas right uh, you would have to do that or you need to do that you need to do your yeah. job and someone else's job possibly that's that's always been my joke that my job is to be better at everybody else's jobs than they are uh and you know by and large i am although in those very particular things like no joke my lead cook is more organized than i am in her realm right like i have to organize on a massive scale but she gets real granular with stuff which is great because that's what that job requires it's not necessarily what my job requires you know and so yeah if if i need to step in for anybody i can but man don't want to yeah <laughs> i never want to <laughs> what was your goal when you started i mean i don't cooking as a kid yeah if you or or when when did you have a goal <laughs> i don't know if you had one at 15 so it's changed a lot throughout my career when i was a kid and i i started cooking all i wanted to do was have enough money to buy a car which never happened i mean it did happen eventually <laughs> ben, had you had cars, a bmw like, full of, that you could have traded for a bags of diamonds it's, okay so that's true that is true but like I didn't reach that goal at that time. And then what I discovered was that I just kind of wanted to do it because of the money, which was a, a bonkers thing to say. Could you imagine if I had gotten into any other industry? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, at one point, I wanted to have my own restaurant. At one point, I wanted to become a career hotel guy. At one point, I wanted to have a food truck. Like, it's changed all the time. I don't even know if I have a goal right now because I almost feel like I got it. You know, I'm, I've been with this company for seven years. I'm going into the beginning of my eighth full school year. And uh, this job is the perfect balance of responsibility. I still get to cook. There's still stupid meetings to go to. I make the money I want. I have time with my kids. Like, 
it it's put me into a place where I'm so comfortable I don't have goals anymore. So maybe that's not the best. I don't know. The reason I ask is because uh, to go back to my Tetris model is it seems to me that you're one who has moved from place to place in search of or looking for the uh, uh, the place that was missing the Ben shaped uh, hole. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, instead of someone looking at you and being like, ah, this is where they would fit. You jump in and then after a while you're like, you know what? This has been fun, but I'm, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't the Ben shape. This is someone else, but I'm glad to have learned it. And in the process, I guess, you know, the shape of, of you as a, uh, food service professional or, or uh, kitchen professional has, has modified because you've added skills and stuff, but, um, yeah. you, you never stayed in a place longer than, um, your interest yeah and you also find in my industry at least that well maybe this isn't true for everybody it is it has been true for me the the space that i've left has been very much dependent on me right so like when i left restaurant b they hired a sous chef to replace me then that guy found that this the bend shaped space he was stepping into he couldn't do so he quit they hired two people to do my job and then that didn't work out either. And then they ended up promoting somebody who I had essentially trained and that ended up working out because that fellow was able to do the job I had been doing before because that's what happens too. The longer you're in a place, the more you do a job that's not necessarily exactly what's written down. There's always extra shit you're doing. And when those employees leave, you find out exactly what all that extra stuff was. So that brings <laughs> me to a question. Yeah. Um, let's say you notice someone in your um, organization that is excelling, is, is maybe like a younger Ben. How, how do you treat that person? Do you, um, because I would think that if you, if you run encounter somebody like that, you don't want to build something on top of them that if they leave will topple, but you don't want to lose them. So you want them to be doing things. So how do you finagle that so again it's all about communication right and so i feel like the days of you're gonna look for a new job without telling your boss i have such a i have such a privileged space for this right but like if restaurant chefs if managers if owners were to operate the way i do and have very much so open communication with their staff that's goal-based that is when you do a review it's not like i'm gonna yell at you about shit you did two years ago but it's like here's what you do here's what i want you to do here's where you could improve here's where you're doing way too good you know have those kind of conversations we could get past that hiding the notion of looking for a new job and then all of a sudden you're putting in your two weeks and the chef doesn't know that you were ever unhappy so in that particular case, if we do live in that world, I would never be surprised by this person leaving, right? Like the whole goal would be, right. let me show you everything you want to learn. Let me help you develop the skills that will get you whatever the job is that's next that you want. And then let me help you find that job. Let me be a good resource for you. And then three, four years from now, when you have you know done what you've done and you own your own place, we're still really in good really in really good communication and that sort of thing, right? Like having industry buddies at 
your same level of either management or ownership or whatever is always a good idea, especially if it's somebody that you've helped bring up. Yeah. You know, so that would be the ideal. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, when you're talking to about it doesn't matter who's at the burger station, just so long as somebody's there, I don't need to learn their name. Um, that would under that mindset, then it's not like we're looking for uh, or looking to support or anything. Anyone. We just want to use them. We want to use them up. We're paying to suck them dry. And uh, when they're dry, they leave yeah. and that's fine with us. We'll find someone else to, to plug into the spot and, and suck dry. And then we'll just keep doing that until we run out of people. And again, it all trickles down. So if let's say I find out from my lead cook that what she wants is my job at a different location in two years and we start a program where we just march her through all of those trainings. So by the time that job comes up, she's able to just walk into it. All the rest of my staff sees that as well. And they're like, wait a minute. I could be currently, as I'm getting paid to do this job, I could be getting training to do the next job or the next job or the next job at the same time. Are you kidding me? Everybody would jump on that. There's not a person in the world who wouldn't, yeah. right? But as the boss, you have to be confident enough that that person you're training isn't going to take your job at your location, which I think is where a lot of this comes from. The yelling at the staff, the berating, the belittling, all of that is to make sure that none of those cooks actually legitimately take your job. You want right. them to be a little scared <laughs> of you. I don't have that fear, right? Like, nobody's going to take my job. Uh, partially because... I'm open with my staff about uh, a lot of the frustrations of my job. I don't think they want my job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe at a different location. Every location of my co company has these kinds of frustrations in different amounts, different flavors, whatever. Uh, none of my staff wants to take on the particular issues that we have at my location. I am very well suited to doing them, and I'm a little bit immune to them because I've been doing this for seven and a half years, so whatever. But, like... Looking at it now, because we've made that joke. We've made that joke between me and my lead cook, my cook too. Like, all right, which one of you wants to do my job today? And they all laugh because they don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? They are super happy doing their jobs, which is also great, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what you want, right? You want um, people that are, are happy doing what they're doing and not um, discontent. Because if they're happy doing what they're doing um, and then you notice that maybe – maybe they're getting bored or, or, you know, uh, maybe they're wanting something yeah. else, then you can help supply that versus someone who just wants something else because they're so, uh, they feel so bad <laughs> doing what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean like this year in particular, three of my staff and I only have six staff, three of my staff are going to see pretty significant job changes. And there are different ways to handle that. The old model would just be to walk in day one and be like, this is what you're doing now, motherfuckers. We're walking in day one, and I'm going to have to cheerlead hard about it, right? Where the changes that I'm making, and I'm, I'm owning them this time. It's not like the school is, is dictating changes to us. Like, the school wanted a certain thing, and I am setting up the changes myself. I have to cheerlead pretty hard in our trainings to be like, this is going to be awesome. You all just have to trust me. And they do anyway, but you all just have to trust me. <laughs> you three are going to have slightly different job requirements this year. And it, I'm tying it to the raises that they would have gotten anyway, but, like, that's how I'm going to sweeten it and be like, you're going to get X amount of money extra. Here you go. And the three for whom the jobs are not changing at all, those three, I'm not even going to have to ask. They're going to help out the other three. It's just what they're going to do. I'm, I'm just aware of this right now. 
But so, like I said, there's two ways to approach that. One of which is to just slap down a job description and be like, guess what? This is what you do now. Yeah. The other one is when I change their jobs and I can't be tyrannical about it, all I'm doing is I'm looking at all the stuff that needs to be done and I'm just dividing it up, right? Those three may have ideas about how they split that labor up differently, in which case we might change it because I want them to have that kind of input as well, as long as it still remains fair. If any of them are like, well, I don't want to do anything at all. How about that? I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not how this works. But going into this school year with six cooks who all know each other, who all know me and who all know our policies and procedures, we're past that first step already. We're past that like trust hurdle. We can have that kind of conversation where it's like, actually, if she takes this job, I can take this task and we can trade them off and it'll work out better. I don't necessarily see all those things. Yeah. I'm not in charge of the flow, the job flow of the of the day. Like, if, if I wanted to dictate it, and then there were things that could work out better, they're all going to be afraid to tell me. And then things aren't going to improve. Right. So, yeah, we're going to do it not by committee, because I am still going to be the loudest voice in the room. But, like, if people want to trade, if they want to horse trade some of these new job tasks and responsibilities, that's, that is totally on the table. Yeah. Yeah, and not not by committee, but but via input. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Because committees are where ideas go to die. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there is. A, I feel like buffet restaurants ha have to be run by committee just because they're buffets for some reason. I don't know why. Or or maybe that's how Cheesecake Factory came into existence. <laughs> I don't know. I've worked in places where, yeah, the chef did not know my name. And you really just feel like, well, I'm a number. I come in and I do a thing and then I go home and my coworkers know me, but that's it. Right. And that's a really good way to feel like you have zero value. And I've always hated that. I've, I've worked in places where there was too much collaboration in as much as like you had cooks and servers and all that kind of stuff sleeping together and that kind of thing and that goes bad real fast too so <laughs> you have to strike a balance <laughs> yes balance always good <laughs> all right do you want to get off of employee stuff and get back into articles yes yes all right i sent you this i believe which is from food and wine hot DiGiorno pizza could be coming to a vending machine near you Yes. This is from July 25th, 2023. So, DiGiorno has built pizza machines. There are two, quote, pizza kiosks at one Walmart in Colorado, as well as the Nestle Company's Ohio campus. So, it's a larger-than-usual vending machine that has – I'm sorry, I'm just going to quote from this article – uh, that houses a commercial-grade oven as well as frozen pre-made 10-inch thin-crust pizzas currently available in cheese and pepperoni options. As for speed, DiGiorno's machine outputs a fully cooked pizza in about three minutes. For now, the, the pies sell for about $9 each. Steve, uh, knee-jerk reaction. How do you feel about going up to a vending machine, giving it your credit card, waiting three minutes, and getting a whole-ass pizza? I mean, I I can't say as I'm turned off by the idea. I'm with you. <laughs> I do think it's pretty hysterical that this looks a lot like a Redbox machine. And I wonder if you have to return the pizzas. 
they turn it sideways and jam it. In. <laughs> um, I trust this a lot more than I would trust a lot of other kind of food. Like if there was a machine that put out a fresh smoothie, no, thank you. <laughs> if there was a machine that put out sushi, nope. Also, not zero to that. Even those salad ones that are clear and you can see it being assembled still kind of squig me out a little bit. But the idea of a frozen pizza, which I am aware of the concept. I have pizzas in my freezer here at home right now. And the machine has an oven in it. I understand all of the componentry. I understand all of the, the mechanism of it. It's essentially a giant easy-bake oven. I do think it's interesting that they have started with sort of the easiest thing, which I, I this is not a uh, um, critique as much as it's just an observation. Um, starting with thin crust seems to be the easiest because obviously thin crust is going to cook the quickest. Yeah. Um, which which is why you start there, right? Yeah. Um, so, because three minutes is pretty dang quick. Oh, yeah. Um, a big chunk of this, like you were saying about the machines you don't, you don't trust, but a big chunk of this one is just the freezer, and it's from a company that makes frozen pizza. <laughs> yeah. So you know that they've they have that down pat. So really the only outlier here is whether or not this machine um, heats it up uh, well enough to, to get it cooked, which is why you start with thin crust. And uh, um, the one that they have in the picture coming out looks like it's pretty cooked. Yeah. It is a very thin crust, though. Not my kind of pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we wrap this one up early for today, Steve? Yeah, why not? I, the only thing yeah, I have yeah, yeah. noticed is that um, when I click other networks, um, there's just oodles of them that pop up. So I'm going to try to fiddle with my router and see if I can uh, get it on a frequency that isn't getting interference from all these. And next time will be uh, hopefully better. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, sorry to wrap hysterical. this up early, but we are having some serious connectivity <laughs> issues. Also, we generally don't record at 3.30 in the afternoon on a Sunday. Maybe there's just a lot of traffic right now. So, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, maybe we'll record another short episode in the middle of next week. I don't know. Sure. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us and be part of what is a very brief conversation this week, feel free to email us at intheweedswbr at gmail.com. As previously mentioned, my Instagram is Chef Ben Randall. You can find us on Facebook uh, if you just do a search for In the Weeds with Ben Randall. And uh, Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. Great. I hope he said the thing that he says after I always say that. So, uh, in the interest of uh, finishing this up before I get too terribly frustrated, for In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall. <laughs> and I'm Stephen Cadwell. I think I timed it right. <laughs> Talk at you next week. Bye-bye. Uh, editing, this is going to be a nightmare. Oh, goodness.